2: This podcast is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline, the fastest, easiest, and safest way to bet on all things sports. With March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Opening Day right around the corner, BetOnline has all the latest news, scores, and odds to help you win big. The best part? You'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Head over to BetOnline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to revive your literal free money plus signing up is a great way to support the podcast you're listening to in your ears right now that's candlestick chronicles again that's promo code blue wire all one word b-l-u-e-w-i-r-e all one word when you sign up at betonline.ag betonline your online sportsbook experts
0: blue wire Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England send in QB, Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle.
2: He dives and he's in. Touchdown. Four.
1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name's Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. You just heard him doing an excellent job on that ad read. That's Kyle Madsen of NinersWire.com of the USA Today Sports Media Group and 95.7 The Game. Kyle, what's going on, man? How are you doing? I'm doing great.
2: I did 30 minutes on the Stairmaster tonight, which is a, a huge deal for me. Um, there's a contest at my gym and they said how many, the, the contest is do as many flights of stairs as you can in 30 minutes. For those who don't know me, I am vastly overweight and I'm working on it. And right now when I could do the Stairmaster, I do like 15 minutes. Um, I haven't done 30 minutes on a Stairmaster in like five years. So my legs are shot. Not certain I'll be able to work, walk to work tomorrow. But I'm really proud of my number, and uh, I hope I win because I win money if I do. So, How much money? Uh, I actually don't think it's money now that I'm thinking about it. I think that's something
1: else uh, that like I'm thinking of. Like a gift card of. or some like, headphones or something? A,
2: no, I think you get a year-free
1: membership, I think uh, is... That's basically money.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, so I would, uh, I would enjoy that very much, so fingers crossed.
1: Yeah, so we are uh, recording... Uh, On Wednesday night this week, we tried really, really hard to record a podcast on Tuesday like we do often. And uh, we just ran into a ton of technical issues. And we tried recording for about two hours and kept banging our head against the wall and it didn't work. So uh, we gave it a rest and we are re-recording tonight. So we apologize to everybody who was expecting a podcast earlier in the week. Of course, this is The week of the NFL Combine, the scouting combine in Indianapolis, where Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch spoke to reporters earlier this week on Tuesday. Uh, Not a whole lot of breaking news. There's still no decision as of now on Eric Armstead, although the franchise tag window will open on Thursday. So maybe there's going to be news then. Uh, We're going to talk about Armstead, but first... Um, Kyle Shanahan and, and John Lynch both talked about Jalen Hurd. There's a little bit of news there in that John Lynch is expecting Hurd potentially to be available for the start of the off-season conditioning program in early April. Hurd uh, had a stress fracture in his lower back that kept him from playing during his rookie season after getting drafted in the third round and impressing uh, in that preseason opener against the Cowboys when he scored two touchdowns and and looked like a really interesting player for the 49ers. And because the 49ers wound up having one of the league's better offenses, uh, they didn't really miss Hurd, and and nor did they miss Trent Taylor, who's also expected to be back at some point during the offseason program uh, after having five foot surgeries. Um, A little bit uh, more news, uh, John Lynch said that the 49ers are going to try reworking the contract for Jarek McKinnon instead of accounting for, I think it's about $8.5 million against the salary cap this year. After missing the last two years with uh, a knee injury, a torn ACL, and then complications from that last summer, um, the 49ers are actually hoping to get McKinnon back and, and hope that um, he can be healthy enough to get on the field. But obviously, at eight, at eight and a half million, uh, he would have to rework that or else the team would likely cut him. So, um, And Kyle Shanahan, too, said that he expressed that he wants the 49ers to keep Marquise Goodwin uh, who fell out of the rotation midway through the season after the 49ers acquired Emmanuel Sanders, and then wound up finishing the year on IR with a leg injury. Um, shout out to Marquise Goodwin. Actually, he just had a baby, um, and if you know anything about uh, him and his wife Morgan, that's that's a really big deal. So um, good for good good for Goodwin. Congratulations to him. And uh, it sounds like Kyle Shanahan wants to keep him. Whether or not that happens remains to be seen. Uh, one of the major themes coming out of the scrums for Shanahan and Lynch were that everything is really fluid. Like there's a lot going on. Obviously, Eric Armstead status, Jimmy Ward, Emmanuel Sanders, um, restricted free agents, Kendrick Bourne and Matt Breida. Um, You know, uh, there there are a ton of moving parts and DeForest Buckner and George Kittle are doing new new contract extensions. We're going to talk about all that uh, later on down the road, but the point being the 49ers have anywhere between 13 and, and about 19 million dollars in cap space depending where you look and obviously not enough cap room to sign all these guys. So they're gonna have to get creative, restructure some things, uh, cut some guys. and so there's uh, there's gonna be a lot of moving and shaking on the 49ers roster. Um, but is there anything that stood out about those media sessions from Shanahan and Lynch Kyle that uh, that you want to talk about real quick?
2: Yeah, I thought the I thought the bit about not wanting to cut Goodwin because they see or they believe he's valuable and they don't just want to cut a valuable player. I thought that was pretty interesting uh, because to create some cap space for free agency, they're going to need to release some players, and they can save like three point six million against the cap if they let go of Goodwin, but. Uh, if Shanahan actually believes that that he has value in the offense, and I think he does, we've seen him perform, uh, that receiver group is really wide open, and I think there are spots for the taking. So Goodwin and seeing whether he is around and, and how much he's able to compete for, for a role in the offense is going to be really interesting to watch, I think, this offseason. And the same goes for Dante Pettis, who Kyle Shanahan really from training camp last year was pretty hard on and it'll be interesting to see how Pettis responds to that over the offseason because he didn't respond very well uh during the year and Shanahan said it you know you go into a third year after a good year than a bad year your career kind of takes a turn one way or the other I still believe Dante Pettis is really good I'm buying your Dante Pettis stock if anybody's selling but it's it's the wide receiver position in general, I think is very, very interesting. And I think that those two players and what Shanahan had to say about him really kind of highlights where the 49ers are at with that group going into the year.
1: Yeah. And there was another, uh, I guess the most noteworthy thing that happened, and I don't even know if this is noteworthy from our standpoint, but Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch both said, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is our guy going forward, that, uh, they were really proud of the way Garoppolo played And, uh, any thought of him, um, not being the 49ers starting quarterback next year is, is mostly silly. And, uh, and I know we talked about the Tom Brady thing a couple episodes ago. Um, but you had a point that you wanted that I know you made last night when we were trying to record about Garoppolo, uh, that I thought was a good one in terms of the precedent it sets to, to endorse him in a situation like this, because, Um, That's not always the case with every team and and their starting quarterback when they're at the combine. Yeah, we
2: we heard Matt Mayoko, not Matt Mayoko, Mike Mayock. (laughs) (laughs) We heard Mike Mayock discussing Derek Carr before John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan spoke and Mayock basically said, yeah, Derek Carr was was great. He played at a high level, but we're always looking to improve at every position. And that, to me, says that they're not exactly happy with the quarterback play. And the fact that Lynch came out so strongly and said, we're committed to Garoppolo. He's our guy. He makes our team better. We don't think he's hit his ceiling yet. Like, just checked all these boxes for all these things that you want to hear from your team and when they're committing to the quarterback. And I think that had John Lynch said what Mike Mayock said, I think that the discussion this entire offseason is about whether the 49ers are in or out on Garoppolo long term. And I think now, based on what we've heard from both Shanahan and Lynch this offseason, he's their guy. And I, I think that any conversation about that uh, can can probably cease now.
1: Yeah, totally agree. And and I agree with the point that Garoppolo is probably going to get better yes. next year. I, I just I think he he was really good in 2017, and I know it was kind of a fluky small sample type deal. Um, but one of the things that stands out to me about 2017, and I think we have talked about this was just how good he was under, under pressure. And I know that the numbers and metrics or whatever reflected that. And some of that sort of went away. If there was a, a big flaw in Garoppolo's game this year is at times he just wasn't very good under pressure. And that happened in the Super Bowl too. And I kind of wonder how much of that has to do with the knee. And so, uh, being another year removed from that knee injury, having another season, uh, to learn the the nuances of Shanahan's offense and Shanahan allowing that offensive system to to evolve a little bit and and the playmakers within it, the skill guys, um, you know, growing within the league. I would imagine Debo Samuel is going to be uh, in a spot to be a lot more efficient next year. He already was really efficient, but he he might make that jump into a number one receiver. Um, you know, George Kittle's George Kittle, but you're you're going to get. Uh, more time for everybody working within the system, including Garoppolo. And I think that could be hugely beneficial. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if the offense took another leap next year, which is what the 49ers are counting on. And I think that's the right way to go, even though everybody sort of wants to be highly reactionary about the fact that Garoppolo was bad in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. But really, no one was good in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. It wasn't just Garoppolo. The offensive line was getting manhandled. The defense obviously did not do anything. To slow down Pat Mahomes, and so I think it was a team wide thing, not just on Garoppolo, but that's the nature of the quarterback position, and uh, and we're going to talk about that a lot. But I, I want to shift the conversation to Eric Armstead because it's really the first major domino the 49ers are, are going to have uh, to fall as the offseason begins here, sort of at the combine, in terms of making decisions. Um, and how they construct the roster, because as we mentioned, they just really don't have a whole lot of cap space. And Armstead would make sense as a prime uh, franchise tag candidate or transition tag candidate. And it's basically going to take up all the cap space that they have. Now, they could get really creative. They could restructure more contracts. They already did that with center Weston Richburg and linebacker Quan Alexander. They could do it with Jimmy Garoppolo and and spread some of his uh, base salary out into the form of a signing bonus that is equally distributed throughout the remaining few years of his contract. His cap number could shrink significantly, so the 49ers could have more space to sign Armstead, maybe Jimmy Ward, and or Emmanuel Sanders if they choose to. Um, And so Armstead, as a defensive end on the franchise tag, uh, which is which is obviously the the designation that he would fight for because that's the most money. And I think if you look at sort of where he started, particularly in base situations, he was definitely a defensive end. Um, that's going to be 19.3 million according to over the cap, and defensive tackle is 15.5. So that's a pretty big discrepancy. The transition tag, uh, 16.3 million for defensive ends, 12.3 million for a defensive tackle. So. Um, the transition tag, I believe, allows other teams to make an offer that the 49ers could either match uh, or they would receive compensation in a trade um, to move off of Armstead, which could also happen. They could also do what the Seahawks did um, with Frank Clark and the Chiefs and, and what the Chiefs did with D. Ford trading him to the 49ers for a second-round pick last offseason. So the 49ers, who only have that 31st pick overall in round one and then nothing in rounds two, three, and four, um, could theoretically trade Armstead. And I don't think it would be a bad decision because it would clear up cap space, give them a much needed uh draft pick, which they could trade back from, maybe acquire more picks, a shot at getting multiple starters to replenish the roster, or they could keep Armstead around for one season, um, pay him, you know, something like 19 million dollars on the on the franchise tag, which you can justify he's a three down player. He led the team in sacks and and he was really good and is a perfect fit for for the scheme. But Kyle, if you were looking at this and, and all the decisions facing the 49ers this offseason, how would you approach the Armstead thing?
2: I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough decision. <laughs> it's it, it, it's it's really and, tough. And it is, and it's one of those it's one of those deals where like I I think that that franchise tagging him is, is tough because that's what did we 18 or 19 million fully guaranteed? Like that's, that's pretty brutal. Um, And so obviously you want to try and work out a long-term deal, but maybe, maybe they let him and Jimmy Ward and Emmanuel Sanders all just test free agency. And if a team like the dolphins or uh, like the, Colts I think have a ton of cap space if they're going to offer him just a huge deal like I think you just kind of live with that. Uh but but we've talked about this before how Armstead has dealt with some health issues in his career. This was really the first year, it was year 5 and he played with a very talented defensive line. Uh it was it was his first year of of really being a really productive pass rusher and that's what teams are going to ultimately be paying for. And so I wonder if the Niners might take that risk of letting him hit, letting him hit the open market, and crossing their fingers that that teams kind of look at all those factors and say, "Yeah, we're not ready to give him top of the market money." And if they do, then you know the Niners have some work to do to replace him. So I'm very interested to see how that goes. I have no idea what I would do. It's the reason I do a podcast and am not making these decisions. But when you look at the Niners' track record of of their salary cap management under Paragmarate, like whatever decision they make, you got to feel pretty good about it um, from a from a financial standpoint at least for for the team. So that's uh, that's my on the fence answer. If I'm predicting it, it feels like a tag and trade is probably the the most beneficial for for the 49ers. I'm not sure how much Armstead would enjoy that, but um, yeah that's that's where where I'm thinking it lands.
1: So Nick Wagner, who's been on this podcast, does a great job for ESPN him and I were talking about he does Armst- an
2: okay job for ESPN <laughs>
1: <laughs> he, uh, him and I were talking about this and and he made the comparison and I think it's it's almost a perfect one to Trey flowers who signed a five-year, $90 million contract last year with the Detroit Lions after being really good for multiple seasons with the New England Patriots. Now, the difference between Flowers and Armstead is Flowers had three straight seasons of of being really productive. He had, in his second season in 2016, he had seven sacks, then six and a half sacks, then seven and a half sacks, and then Uh, hit the free agent market, and the Patriots weren't eager to bring him back because they felt like they could manufacture pass rush uh, for cheaper ways than than paying him what he ultimately got, which I think the deal included $56 million in guarantees. The difference between Flowers and Armstead is Flowers did it over multiple seasons while Armstead really has had just one um, sort of Pro Bowl caliber campaign. I know he didn't make the Pro Bowl this year, but he has started – Uh, 16 games in each of the last two seasons, after missing about half the time in 2016 and 2017 because of shoulder. uh, He had shoulder surgery in 2016 when the 49ers went two and 14, Um, and then he had a hand injury in 2017 after just six games in Kyle Shanahan's first season there. The thing is with Armstead, he had 10 sacks this year and just nine in his first four years combined. Right. Um, and in 2018, he really looked like. Uh, a player that was worth sort of keeping around to see what he could do because of how good he was against the run and you look at that 49ers roster that he played on in 2016 and 17 you're like all right maybe if you surround him with a little bit more talent it could really sort of unlock his physical traits and and his ability and adding d ford and Nick Bosa this offseason and playing him next to DeForest Buckner obviously is sort of the best case scenario for Armstead which is why he ended up leading the team with with 10 sacks and was also a really good player against the run and is versatile could play inside and outside which was very similar to Trey Flowers so I mean the the thing with Flowers is that the Patriots didn't really miss him You know, they they let him go despite how versatile he was and and how valuable he was to that defense. And they were able to replace him. And so, you know, maybe the 49ers are are thinking along those same lines. But the question becomes, um, if you do not bring Armstead back, how do you go about replacing him? And so do you re-sign Ronald Blair, who was a backup defensive end? Um, who was who was really productive in his role as a bit player, but also tore his ACL uh, in November against the Seahawks. And you don't know exactly when he's going to be fully healthy, if he's going to be fully healthy in time for training camp. Um, and is that going to be enough? And you also have Solomon Thomas, who, look, I know Solomon Thomas has not nearly lived up to the billing of the number three pick when the 49ers took him in 2017, but um, he hasn't necessarily had a chance to develop Uh, through reps through repetition like he he was a bit player this last season because the 49ers four pass rushers ahead of him were so good and maybe now if you let Armstead go and do a tag and trade uh, to get draft capital for him maybe that allows Solomon Thomas a chance to start uh, and and you really get an a better idea of what he can do because you allow him to play next to you know, DeForest Buckner and Nick Bosa and and D Ford and see how that goes for the 49ers. And and you're probably not in a terrible spot because Solomon Thomas is talented. Um we just haven't seen him produce at a level that obviously you would want from a number three overall pick, but maybe now that Thomas is going into his fourth season, um, and I would imagine the 49ers are not going to pick up his fifth year option. So maybe you know, you get a contract season from Solomon Thomas in the last year of his rookie contract akin to what Armstead was this year in his contract year in that sort of a breakout season uh, because he was in a good system surrounded by so many talented players. And that's probably the best case scenario for the 49ers. I am I would be um, kind of surprised if, if Thomas ended up being, you know, 70, 80% of the player Armstead was. But I think just because of how much talent the 49ers have along that defensive line. Um, I think they could still field a good enough defensive line if they don't bring Armstead back and the team would be in a pretty good spot because you would have all the money to pay other guys that you need to pay. And you might be getting a little bit more draft capital in addition to that.
2: Yeah. One thing I wanted to bring up was Eric Armstead is from Northern California he does a ton of work in the community up in in Sacramento and where where he's from. And you wonder if if that plays into a long term extension at all. Um, I know he does want to stay in the area and you wonder if he might take that literal hometown discount from from the 49ers to stick around uh, and and play alongside a really talented defensive line. And if he doesn't, like you bring up a guy like Solomon Thomas, I think Ronald Blair's a guy they'll they'll try and bring back for sure. But like if Solomon Thomas is the answer, I have a really hard time believing that he's gonna be half the the productive player that Armstead was in terms of his versatility, um, and in terms of just his his overall ability. I just I I don't see it with Thomas. I've never seen it with Thomas. And if their goal is to let Armstead walk and let Thomas step into that role and they think that it's going to just be a seamless transition, I think that is a massive, massive error by the front office.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think Thomas could be somebody who gets you six or seven sacks. Like if he if is he Solomon is Solomon Thomas, role... a
2: better player than Ronald Blair
1: oof um i don't think he is a better player the thing is with ronald blair is he has been in sort of the perfect situation for him because he is a four three defensive end right um and thomas the the niners sort of miscast by thinking he could play on the edge when really he's a defensive tackle but his reps at defensive tackle have been really hard to come by because he's been playing behind a Forrest Buckner and Eric Armstead. Um, So I, I think part of the issue with Thomas is that they've really been struggling to identify a role for him. And it might be that clearing an opening by, you know, allowing Armstead to go elsewhere could allow Thomas to develop as an interior pass rusher. In sub packages, I wouldn't I wouldn't have him be a three down player like Armstead is. I wouldn't play him in base on the end. Uh, I would actually rather play Blair in that scenario if you are not playing D Ford there. Um, have Blair line up as a defensive end, and then have Thomas come in when you go to sub packages. Um, but I think you know if if you have Nick Bosa, who's probably gonna be better next year, uh, which is a pretty scary thought. If you can get D Ford healthier. Um, and you have Buckner on the inside surrounding Thomas, if Thomas is able to embrace the opportunity, I still think he could be productive. I don't don't expect double-digit sacks from him, and I don't expect him to be versatile enough to be good against a run as a defensive end. But in the aggregate, I think you could get enough production out of him to where the defensive line is still a strength. Um, you know, if you get DJ Jones back to to play nose tackle, so you don't have to worry about playing Solomon Thomas or DeForest Buckner there, uh, which was a thing that, that happened a little bit this last year because uh, DJ Jones got hurt. I, I do think you can still have a good defensive line as the 49ers have constructed it if Solomon Thomas is playing more than he did or has because Armstead's gone. But we'll have to see it it's it's going to be a very fascinating decision like we said because the 49ers just don't have a whole lot of cap space. Another thing they could do, you mentioned a long-term contract for for Armstead. Um, you know, they have long-term contracts coming down the pike for Buckner and George Kittle. You could essentially create cap space at least with Buckner because he's on his 5th year option. Um, I want to say uh, without looking, it's it's going to be something like $10 million on that fifth year. But you could shrink his cap number and spread a massive signing bonus out throughout the life of the deal um, and shrink his cap number ultimately, too. Um, and that's something you could potentially do with Armstead is retain him for multiple seasons and have him for for cheap, essentially, for 2020 while you work some of this stuff out. So that is all on the table. Um, and uh, And I would imagine there's... A lot of uh, creativity going on in the mind of Pragmarate these days and spreadsheets and all these different scenarios uh, that he has in mind. And so uh, it's going to be fascinating to see. So moving on, uh, we are going to rank. Uh, we both made lists of the five areas that we think the 49ers need to fortify on the roster in, uh, in descending order or ascending order, I guess, is the better way to put it. Um, so Kyle, why don't you start with your list of five, uh, your fifth, most important position of need, because it sort of falls into this conversation that we've been having. Yeah, I think they
2: need to draft a defensive end, whether Eric Armstead leaves or doesn't. I think that depth is such a vital part of what the 49ers did on defense last year. I don't think they need to do it with their first pick or their second pick, but I think if they do wind up trading back and getting picks in the middle rounds, they do have two fifth round picks. I think that's where you start targeting a defensive end to see if you can get a guy not to start, but to step in and and play 10, 15 effective snaps as a rookie. Now, if Armstead does leave and they don't re-sign Ronald Blair, they re-sign Ronald Blair, but he's still going to be recovering from that ACL injury um, into the start of the season, then I think defensive end moves way up the list of needs.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think it's important that the 49ers continue having the defensive line as a strength. And uh, and I think they they do need um, it would make sense, particularly farm set leaves to to invest in that defensive line, because having depth along the D line would be hugely important because you always want that to be a strength of the team. Right. Like even if you're dealing through attrition and injuries, you want to be able to lean on that because that's how the team is constructed. So getting another player there would make sense. Um, whether or not that's in the form of bringing Armstead back or Ronald Blair back as well, um, or drafting somebody else, I, I, or signing a, a lesser free agent. Um, I do think that makes a lot of sense for me. It's the offensive line, and I didn't just limit it to you know tackle, guard, or, or center. I think it's the whole thing. Um, and I know you have Daniel Brunskill and Justin School, but um, I think you could use particularly now that Weston Richburg is going to spend a second straight offseason dealing with a significant knee injury he tore his patella tendon in that Saints game in early December. Uh I think it's time to be a little bit concerned about the center spot. And you have Ben Garland who is also a free agent who maybe you could bring back. Garland obviously started for Richburg uh late in the season and into the playoffs, but the interior of the offensive line was a problem, particularly in the Super Bowl against Chris Jones. So Uh, Mike Person is getting up there in age. The entire offensive line is signed through the next two seasons, so um, you do have to think about replacing Joe Staley at some point. He's signed for two more years, and maybe you get a guard uh, or a tackle that can play guard in the meantime and then eventually kick out to replace Staley or Mike McGlinchey if you switch McGlinchey to the left side. Um, And maybe Daniel Brunskill ends up being that guy. Maybe he displaces Mike Person in the starting lineup next year, and you can save a little bit of cap space by cutting him. Um, That's a possibility, but I don't think it would hurt the 49ers, just given Weston Richburg's injury status uh, and the fact that Garland is a free agent. Your center position is a little bit up in the air going into the offseason. So to me, getting somebody along the interior um, would make sense, and you also have to think about life after Joe Staley. Uh, so I think the offensive line, particularly along the interior, would be an area uh, of that needs to be addressed this offseason. Uh, number two for me is tight end. And I know the 49ers have the best tight end in the league in George Kittle. But you look at what the Ravens did with their two really good tight ends um, and what the possibilities could be with Kyle Shanahan and how much he loves to use uh, big personnel packages, getting another tight end uh who can block and also be a viable threat in the passing game, somebody who's versatile, a really good athlete, um, would make a ton of sense. And and I don't know that it's necessarily worth using a premium draft pick on, but George Kittle was a fifth round pick. I don't know that there's a George Kittle in this draft class, obviously, but um, you know, I think Ross Dwelly is fine if he's your number three tight end. Um you just lost Garrett Selleck, uh the block one of the blocking tight ends to retirement Levine Toy Lolo is a blocking tight end and a free agent, somebody you might not want to bring back. So drafting a tight end maybe on day three to me would make a lot of sense. And and if you could find a diamond in the rough, and I'm not saying they should go find George Kittle because another George Kittle, because that's obvious. Like if you could find a George Kittle around five, you do that. But um, getting somebody who could provide an upgrade over Ross Dwelly and add versatility to the, to the offense to me would make sense, and it would allow you to spell George Kittle a little bit so you don't have to re- rely on him to play 95% of the snaps every game because he's constantly dealing with injuries. He has a shoulder. He had the leg and the knee at the same time midway through the season in Arizona. Um, you want to keep George Kittle George Kittle as healthy as you can going forward, and I think part of that is is reducing how much you rely on him to play, and, and that might mean adding another tight end this offseason.
2: Yeah, I think I think that that's probably right. I hadn't honestly even given it much thought just because uh George Kittle is obviously the the best tight end in the league, depending on who you ask. <laughs> uh and then and then Ross Dwelly did did a fine job, I think, last year when when Kittle was out. But uh upgrading at that position, uh even with Dwelly on the roster, I think is probably probably the right move. So I think that, that that's pretty good foresight and not something that I would be surprised at the 49ers, uh, attack in the draft. Um, my, maybe maybe it's Jalen
1: Hurd too. Like maybe, maybe that guy ends up being Jalen Hurd. So we'll see.
2: Yeah. Next one on my list. So my, my fourth biggest need, uh, is safety. And again, this is contingent on, what jimmy ward does in free agency if they wind up signing signing jimmy ward to like a three-year deal then I, I think that safety can can move down a little bit but uh right now their depth at that spot is not great uh, marcel harris did okay filling in for jagoski dart but i i not sure he's going to be a starter long term a 2018 sixth round pick and after that the cupboard's pretty bare so even if Jimmy Ward does stay, I do think this is something the Niners need to address in the draft and and start getting some some talent at that spot to compete for jobs in the back end of the roster. Because, uh, like I said, if if they suffer an injury at the position, they they take a pretty significant step down in talent. I think so. I think they have to make that a priority.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I I, I think safety at some point is going to be an area they should address and it wouldn't surprise me at all if if they do with a premium draft pick um so number three on my list is cornerback and uh i think this is basically just because at some point richard sherman is not going to be around um and he was very very good this year he was a second team all pro a pro bowler um but you know Richard Sherman is going to turn 32 in March and um, he's just not going to be around forever. And bes- behind Sherman, you have Akella Witherspoon who's entering the last year of his contract. And you have Emmanuel Mosley who was, uh, who was largely good when he replaced Witherspoon in the starting lineup. But um, beyond those guys, like you don't have a ton of depth. So it could be that this is Sherman's last season with the 49ers. I don't know that that's true for sure, but um, it has to be considered as a possibility. And then Witherspoon, if he doesn't play particularly well this year, uh, there's little reason to believe the 49ers would invest money in bringing him back when they could just replace him with a draft pick. So getting a corner now, to me, uh, would make a lot of sense, um, particularly after you drafted Tarvarius Moore to be a cornerback initially and then moved him back to his natural position at safety last year. Um, so you do have DJ Reed uh, who's more of a slot guy and, and a a guy who plays a lot of free safety, uh, sort of a versatile all around guy. I don't know how much you can rely on him in terms of, you know, if you need a starter, a guy to start at outside cornerback. I don't know if DJ Reed is that guy. I think he's probably better in the slot. Um, so I think cornerback would make a lot of sense. And, uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if day two, if the 49ers traded back into day two, um, I mean, you could say the same thing about safety, which is also number four on my list. Uh, so I I think the 49ers, should they t- trade back, uh, they would come away with at least one defensive back in this draft, because I, I think they, they need to, given what they have, um, the fact that Ward's a free agent. Sherman, you don't know how long he's going to play. Um, and opposite Sherman, I know you like Emmanuel Mosley, but uh, I think it would be important to add some talent there. Uh, for for depth and potentially to compete for a starting role long-term.
2: I neglected to mention Tavares Moore, who had a case to be the Super Bowl MVP, depending on how that game shook out over the final eight minutes or so. Uh, He's also in the mix at safety. That doesn't change the fact that I I think that the 49ers need to add a player at that spot. Uh, For me, next on my list is receiver. Uh, After that, it's corner. I think cornerback is probably the second biggest need just because uh, Witherspoon and Mosley, I think are still pretty significant question marks. Uh, Richard Sherman is, is in the final year of his deal and, and closer to his, to his getting closer to his mid thirties. Um, so I do think that that's something they that they need to address pretty early in the draft, but receivers interesting because they have so many bodies at that spot where if you just write down. A list of receivers that could conceivably make the roster they already have like eight or nine guys but when you talk about Trent Taylor or you talk about Jalen Hurd or Dante Pettis or Marquise Goodwin like that's four players who haven't really proven to be consistently productive uh, players at, at the wide receiver position. And can Jalen Hurd stay healthy? Can Trent Taylor stay healthy? Can Marquise Goodwin stay healthy? Like there's so many huge question marks that I think in a draft that some people are calling the deepest wide receiver draft ever or the deepest in the last 20 years or whatever whatever you want to say, I, I think it's something that the Niners have to take advantage of. And if they can, if there's a receiver or re- they uh, that they think is really good, that drops to them, at either number 31 or or wherever they pick uh, after that 31st pick, it wouldn't surprise me to see them jump at that chance. I understand that they've invested a ton in the position over the last couple of years, but they don't have a ton to show for it. I think Debo Samuel is really the only guy that you can pencil in to be, to be a high-quality starter. Kendrick Bourne's a restricted free agent. I imagine he'll be back. He's a productive player, but he can't be your number two guy. And for as good as Debo Samuel is, I'm not certain he can be your number one guy. So I I do think they need to add somebody else at that position, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them use a a premium draft pick on that spot to try and to try and uh, establish more long term talent at that position uh, that that gives them a little more certainty.
1: Yeah, so that's my number one need is wide receiver, um, because even if you do, you know, I I don't know what Emmanuel Sanders is going to get on the open market I would look at a team like the Patriots who badly needs a veteran contributor to say all right we're going to give you nine ten million dollars for the next couple of years um, and I just don't think the 49ers are going to be able to go there uh, financially given you know all the questions that we've been talking about that they're that they're facing uh, so like you said it would make a ton of sense to invest a premium draft pick in a really good receiver, uh, in the draft, and so yeah, we. I mean, I I spent the time rec- before we recorded this pod watching Lavisca Chenault, um, highlight tapes, and and um, it's just funny how much like Debo Samuel he is, and and I know our guy Matt Mayoko wrote a story. Um, from the combine talking about chenault and how he watched samuel in the 49ers offense more than anybody because that's who he likens his game to and the idea of Lavisca chenault and debo samuel on the same offense uh, would be really really intriguing because of all the things you could do from a versatility standpoint and the way uh, the way he plays but we're, we'll talk about draft prospects we're gonna have two months to uh, to dive into the draft and, and one of the funny things, and I, this was probably the most relatable thing Kyle Shanahan said from the combine this week is that he's three days removed or when he got to the combine, he was three days removed from a week and a half in Cabo and has spent exactly zero time looking at draft prospects. And the last couple of nights, like me looking at, I looked at T Higgins a little bit, the wide receiver from Clemson and Chenault a little bit tonight. Um, that's my first foray into uh, into this draft class, and I haven't I haven't really thought about it a whole lot because I've been sort of on vacation mode and and uh, and just not thinking about the draft because we're gonna have so much time to dive into it. But uh, we will talk about the combine next week, like winners and losers, um, and and things like that, because uh, there are gonna be guys that jump out to us that we're gonna be able to watch, and I will have a much better idea. Uh, of what these guys look like so real quick before you get to your last most pressing need just going through our list a uh, number five for me was offensive line for you's defensive end uh four for me's tight end four for you safety three for me is corner four for you's receiver uh f- or s- sorry three for you f- for you as receiver mm-hmm. four for me is safety four for you's corner uh or number and one. These are, yeah. these are in order from yeah, and the most, least to most. Yeah, the most pressing need for me was receiver. So what is your most pressing need on the 49ers roster?
2: I actually think it's offensive line. I I worry about their depth both in the short term and the long term. I know Daniel Brunskill proved to be to be pretty effective at, at multiple positions this year, but just in school, like can he be a long-term starter i think that's a pretty significant question mark can daniel brunskill be a 16 game starter at a certain at a given position that is a giant question mark still uh, joe staley is in the twilight of his career um mike person like he's been he's been good he's been okay but i'm not certain he's a long-term answer and if the niners are in a position where they can draft a guard that they think uh that they think can be a starter right away for them. I think they have to jump at that opportunity. If they have a tackle that falls to them that may not start right away, but will be ready to start in two, maybe three years. I think they have to guard. jump at
1: that. Or, or play or, guard, right? Or
2: or time. or play guard, right? So I just there when I when you look at the roster and where the holes are, I think that. I don't know how many like gaping holes this roster has, but I I think I worry the most about the offensive line just in terms of the short and long-term depth. So for me that's the that's the top need going into this offseason.
1: It's not a bad spot to be. No. Coming up to Super any. Bowl and having a like, lot of young stars around for a while.
2: How good are your backup guards? Is a decent <laughs> position to be in roster-wise.
1: Yeah um yeah so the combine starts thursday or at least it's from a testing perspective which will uh which will be interesting to see the receivers and the quarterbacks and the tight ends i believe will uh will be on the field running around doing things so we will keep an eye on that hey did you know george kittle during his combine back in 2017 uh did all of his drills with a bloody nose and had a giant uh, like cotton thing stuffed up his nose while he was working out. And so he, he couldn't breathe through one nostril while, like while he was doing you it. You know what?
2: We're dangerously close to George Kittle entering the Tyson zone. Elaborate. You know, you know Bill Simmons <laughs> has the Tyson zone where Mike Tyson reached a point where you just believed any story about him no matter how insane it was. George Kittle's not quite there, but boy, is he getting there quickly? Like if you told me, if you had said just now, George Kittle did his whole combine, uh, with a broken arm while holding a power ranger toy, I would have been like, sure, of course he did. Like, <laughs> I, I think that that George Kittle is very quickly reaching the point that I'll just believe any story about him.
1: Yeah. He, uh, He still managed to have a really good combine. He ran a 4.52 at uh, 247 pounds. 4.52 for a tight end is in the 94th percentile. His broad jump was 132 inches, uh, which is 98. I mean, you could probably get away with having a bloody nose for your broad jump. But um, yeah, George Kittle, good football and uh, and did the combine with a bloody nose and couldn't and had his nose stuffed and couldn't breathe out of it fascinating stuff all right i think that's all we got right anything else you want to hit on before we get out of here
2: nope i want to go to bed
1: yeah shout out to our uh, <laughs> technology for working tonight hey yo. um our tech I, I i don't know if you guys i'm sure the listeners have noticed but our sound quality or at least my sound quality since i've moved to my new setup um, was not great, but we made some adjustments. We purchased some technological equipment and, uh, we're fighting through it, but I think we might be getting in a zone here where we have good quality going forward. So hopefully that's the case. Uh, we will talk to you guys next week with reaction to everything from the combine and testing. And I promise I will be a little bit more knowledgeable when it comes to this incoming draft class. And, uh, we will talk to you guys then.